They say patience is a virtue But I can wait as long as you do for a change Call me insane but that's my aim Hi everyone, welcome back to our fourth episode already of Untelevised, the podcast. Um, last week, uh, not last week, but last episode, Fazio had me in the in the hot seat, um, which was um, a fun, fun experience. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I think it's always, we were both saying that you just don't really take the time to stop and think about, you know, some of those questions they're put to you and you're like, oh my God, ah, I've never really thought about this. Um, so hopefully it gave you a little bit of an insight into who we are and why we've set up this podcast and, you know, why we're trying to do the work that we do. But it was only half the story. Um, and so this time I'm gonna kind of get my own back and I'm gonna put Fazio in the hot seat. Um, <laughs> And um, hope that hopefully we align. I mean, <laughs> hopefully we don't find out anything that's too shockingly different. Um, but um, yeah, Fazio, welcome. Hi, Anna. <laughs> Thank you. And you know, you really are getting your own back on this one with me because you know that one of the reasons I chose my career is so that I could be the one asking the questions rather than answering them. So you know that this is really getting me back. <laughs> no, absolutely. Because I'm always trying to push her to kind of get in front of whatever it might be, the camera, the mic, whatever. But she's definitely very, very she's, I mean, she's incredibly useful and effective behind camera. But um, we're trying, trying to get her to sort of speak up more because... When she does, she does have some things to say, or at least I'm gonna. I'm, ho I'm hoping that's the case for Zoe. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. <laughs> well, I guess um, that is a very um, obvious place for me to kind of ask you who it is that you are, apart from the person behind the camera. Um, what do you feel is the things that people should know about you? Um, what What do you th think are the important stats as opposed to maybe the things that we're always told we have to say about ourselves? It's funny because um, often we get asked to write bios and stuff and I struggle with those because I hate just listing like a list of achievements, went to this school, did this, this, this degree, did this business because it doesn't quite feel like me. But then also um, when I asked you this last episode... I was like blown away with how quickly and confidently you answered. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I don't know myself. I went into a little bit of an existential crisis. <laughs> I was like, oh dear. But I think actually reflecting on it, it's probably one of the things that I'm just getting into the stage of life where I'm free to decide that, if that makes any sense. So um, very much when you're younger, you're told you're in school and you have very limited kind of maybe choices um you can choose maybe what category you fall into maybe I'm an emo maybe I'm this maybe I'm that but very much like who you are I'm not sure you have much choice over and then you're a student in uni and then you're this and then I think I'm just about in that stage of life where I'm able to freely decide who I am um so it's quite interesting exploring that and um picking and choosing what I want to keep and maybe throw away um within my identities 
Um, but I'm also, I think, the kind of person that's con constantly learning and growing. So even this interview is just like a snapshot of who I am today. And maybe tomorrow that will be slightly different. Um, but if I had to, like, if someone had a gun to my head and was like, who are you? I think, first of all, I would definitely identify as a black person. And I say that because I think that's the thing that people identify me as first. So maybe that's even involuntary. Um, and I think my um, race identity definitely shapes my viewpoint and my experience of the world. So I would always say I'm a black woman. Um, and then a subsection of that, because I know if my mum listens to this, she'll be very angry. <laughs> and <laughs> is, I definitely don't want to face your mum and your mum's wrath. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> is that I'm a West African specifically. And I do think that is very important to like um, classify that I'm a West African um, from Ghana and Nigeria. Because um, one of the things is that there's a lot of richness in blackness and it's not a monolith. So just saying I'm, I'm black doesn't necessarily... Um, explain who I am and my background and where I come from and obviously Fisayo is a Nigerian name but my mum's also from Ghana so I've got like um they call it like a peace baby within the African community because those two communities are <laughs> communities that are traditionally at war with one another so <laughs> I was like you know I brought the peace between at least two individuals um in that sense um and then yeah my womanhood is another important factor of who I am I think um increasingly so I think as I get older uh, maybe not something I appreciated as much as a younger person outside of like trying to defy the gender stereotypes of I didn't particularly like pink although I'm very much um, falling into the millennial stereotype of um, loving pink now <laughs> apparently it's like the millennial colour but <laughs> um, and then lastly I think being a Londoner I, I really do think that that uh, it's quite a specific experience um, I've learned that more and more as I grow and meet people from other places that even going to other areas of the UK, that London, growing up in London is a very unique experience in how multicultural it is, how metropolitan it is. I I often think there's nothing that can shock me. It would take a lot to shock me in terms of, I think I've seen it all in terms of different people, different ideals, everything. So I think, yeah, being a Londoner is something that I would definitely identify as well. See, once I start talking, I don't stop. No, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll try and manage that. Um, it's interesting, actually, because um, I'm not originally from London, although I've been here now for 10-odd years, and I've always said that it's actually quite a novelty to meet an original Londoner, <laughs> actually. Whenever I meet people who are like, yeah, I actually grew up here, you're like, ah, okay. Um, and now I'm sitting here trying to imagine if you really were an emo at college or not. <laughs> I, I, I can't really see it. But... No, no, not quite. <laughs> um, Okay, so Fazai, you said quite a few things there that might give some clue to people as to, you know, the types of changes you might want to see in the world or, or if you do at all. But, um, you know, this, this podcast is about social change. Um, we set up on Televised to sort of try and dig more into that. So what is the change that you want to see? Yeah, I think the one thing that I actually forgot to say from that first question is I identify, I mean, it's a very loose term, but as a storyteller. And I actually think that links to the change I want to see 
because I think maybe I just have a slightly more vivid imagination than <laughs> the average person because the change I want to see is not a specific thing. It's not like end climate change or end racism. It's more just for us to broaden our horizons and broaden our idea of what the possibilities are, if that makes any sense. I was actually having a conversation with a friend the other day and we were marvelling at the fact that there's sort of like infinite possibilities of what we could do as humans. Like we have the choice to build society and that the choice we've made is to sit at desks for eight hours a day <laughs> and then go on a tube and sit there and then go home, sit in front of the TV, eating a meal that we're maybe not enjoying or haven't put much care into. And that of all the possibilities of what we could do, this is sort of like what we've chosen for the majority of us to spend the majority of our time doing. Um, so I guess for me, yeah, the change I want to see is just for people to realise their power, I guess, and the different possibilities of what we can do. Um, and within that, I do want to eliminate poverty. I want to eliminate the idea of scarcity and that we have to be in competition with one another and that resources are something that should belong to some and not others. Like things like land, water, it just blows my mind that we've got to a place where we feel that some people have ownership and right to and others don't. Um, but yeah, just for people to ask more questions and to explore more possibilities and to feel the power to change things themselves and to take action. And I don't know if that's a specific answer, but it's just to broaden horizons and um, to explore possibilities. I guess it's just to imagine something that could be different and in that difference, hopefully better for more people. Well, I mean, it's as specific of an answer as any, I think. And I guess um, if it wasn't happening before, you'd like to think it might be happening now. I mean, COVID certainly had other ideas about us getting on tubes and sitting for eight hours in offices together. Uh, so it is maybe an, a moment of opportunity, but um, that's for another, I think that's for another discussion. Um, so apart from sitting here and doing this podcast with me um how are you working towards this change it's funny because i think it's very easy to think that you're not doing anything mm -hmm. <laughs> i often feel like i'm not doing anything or not doing enough but i guess one of the main ways would be through um philanthropy so it's the production company that i set up and we focus on um using media as a tool for social good that's like sort of our tagline but within that what we do is we um we empower i guess other organizations and individuals to use media so that might be creating video that might be journalism um to further their causes and to amplify their voices and to amplify the voices of the people they work with so i think we've mentioned in a previous podcast but that's actually how we met one another um i came to work with May Project and to capture them on film. And then since then, we've done loads of projects, including with young refugees, including with corporates, including to um, use media to further your missions and your values. Um, and why that's important to me is what we consume, so the media, the stories we're told, very much shapes our um, perspective. And if that all comes from a single source or a single type of person, or single narrative, um, we can have a very narrow view of what is possible, but also what is. And there's a saying, I'm going to get it wrong, because I often try and say sayings, but I kind of remix them as to how <laughs> I consume them rather than how they were said. 
it's something about a lion and a hunter and it's something along the lines of until the lion learns how to write the story will always glorify the hunter yeah, the yeah. whole idea of if the hunter's writing the story he's going to be like yes i slayed the lion and the lion was a coward and whatever but actually the underdog might tell a very different story mm-hmm. um and often the people there's a um statistic that in the uk um the media industry is very male pale and stale um male pale and stale. yeah which yeah. is that most of the journalists are male most of them are pale as in like white <laughs> <laughs> and stale as in they've been to university and not only university but oxbridge like the top universities um and if all of our narratives are being controlled by those individuals what are we going to be seeing and also um it kind of shapes where people feel they belong so yeah that i guess for philanthropy i'm doing some work in that respect but also just on myself and trying to read and learn and have conversations um i love talking and meeting people and just kind of consuming who they are and what their ideas are and what their perspectives are um and i'm constantly trying to work on unlearning some of the principles that we've been told so trying to be more sustainable in what i eat what i wear um trying to unlearn like anti-blackness white supremacy capitalist ideals and the ideas of competition and just like every, seeing every day as a learning opportunity really and acknowledging that I'm imperfect and hopefully each day I can get a bit better <laughs> yeah I think you know I think definitely um you describing yourself as a storyteller as opposed to just as a media producer or a filmmaker or something to me is re- I, I have to say when I when I met you I had never quite seen that multimedia could be used so effectively and that storytelling could be done so three-dimensionally so you know we'd you'd work with us and we you would end up with something like six hours of footage and I would just be thinking how is she going to get the key messages out of this and every single time you did and you did in a way that I could have never imagined so it's it's a real it's a real skill um but um we almost did call on televised the lion's tale, didn't we? Oh, did Do we? Remember, I don't know if you remember. See, you can this. tell I really See? love this phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> despite did. not having learnt it still. Uh, it, yeah, it, 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 it refers to history education, I think, history in particular, I think, yeah. and how history was recorded, and um, that uh, the history will always be told through the eyes of the of the hunter. So we talked about if untelevised being called the lion's tale, but then we weren't sure if people would understand what, what we were. Reading. I think it's a nature. Yeah, yeah, program. exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. So um, that's quite a lot of things that you're doing um, and um, quite big conceptual things. And so how might they break into a normal day? What does, your, what does an average day in your life look like? Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I have an average day. Um, I was saying actually to you earlier that I need to become better at having like a schedule because I do feel that days can change at the drop of a hat and what I'm doing might change. But to be very honest with you, although it sounds maybe quite glamorous to say you have a production company and stuff, I still, like you said, I think last week, spend the majority of my time answering emails. <laughs> Who doesn't, you know? <laughs> this is probably linked to my um, what I want to change because I don't want to spend so much time <laughs> answering emails, sitting at a desk answering emails. Um, I really like the way you put it. I think you said 
everyone just becomes a professional email <laughs> writer or whatever. And that is sort of how I do feel. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it might be scheduling a shoot or doing a shoot, editing, things like this, um, coming up with concepts for workshops, pitching, um, writing grants, which is another thing I don't enjoy too much, but it's necessary. Um, but in terms of, I guess that's all of the mundane, maybe more work things, but in terms of um, working towards change, I think a day in my life would just be trying to um, look for alternative media. So I love podcasts because I just think that podcasts are a very democratic way of doing media. Anyone can start one with very minimal resources um, and you can just get such a plethora of ideas and opinions and um, concepts from listening to different voices. Um, so yeah, places like podcasts, um, YouTube for alternative media, even Twitter, although Twitter is an interesting place. It can be quite toxic at times, but um, I do tend to lean on it to see those different voices just because I think media is really being turned on its head these days and um, citizens really are able to take a lot more control of the messages. So I try and spend my time finding and consuming them. And then I spend a lot of time thinking about Untelevised as well and how we can maybe um, further the cause of having these discussions. And so, you know, that's quite a lot to already know that you want to do and that you are doing at a, at a young age. I won't ex disclose your age, but at a young age. Um, so where's that come from? Like, is there a particular, like, moment or person or thing in your life that has shaped that was there a penny drop moment has it always been like this it's really interesting actually um I was I'm, I was trying to think about my answer to this question and I actually think I'm going to come back to what I said when you asked me how I identify which is um being a black woman so I guess that would be a thing mm -hmm. <laughs> um and I say that because I think with being a black woman, um, it just gives you a very unique perspective on the world in the sense that, for want of a better, better way of putting it, if we were to see society as a totem pole, um, blackness puts you maybe towards the bottom of the totem pole and then womanhood also, because of patriarchy, etc., puts you again lower. And I think being a black woman means that I've had to learn to understand everyone maybe at first as a survival mechanism so um i've had to understand how to navigate a room full of white men where i might be the only black person and the only woman um i've had to learn to navigate a room full of yeah just lots of spaces where maybe people don't look like you or have the same ideals or maybe even you're not welcome so i think that has very much shaped my perspective and my experience of life um and then on top of that, in terms of a person, I think other women and black women in my life. So I have to shout out my mum <laughs> again. <laughs> I'm making it sound like I'm scared of her. I'm not. She genuinely has <laughs> really shaped my life. And I think especially actually in terms of my introduction into um, giving and being charitable and grassroots work and even um, maintaining hope and motivation and persevering. Um, yeah, my mum, that's definitely all of those things. And even, okay, I make it sound like being a black woman's very hard, and it is at times, but maintaining the confidence and pride and stuff like that, I do think have all 
come from my mum. Um, and then to shout out the rest of my family. <laughs> being the eldest of um, my siblings, I also think has shaped who I am. Um, I think being the eldest girl, and especially in an immigrant family, I'm learning more and more from like friends and colleagues, um, is a very particular experience as well in terms of um, the role you take on and yeah, the role you take on. I think <laughs> I think people that are in the same position will appreciate that. Um, and I think that has shaped who I am. And then again, being a Londoner, definitely. Like I said earlier, I think being a Londoner just gives you such a broader perspective on life, maybe. Um, or maybe not a broader perspective, but a broader exposure um, to difference and hopefully makes you more tolerant. Yeah, I definitely relate to the oldest... Um oldest sibling oldest female sibling the whole yeah th- that whole thing yeah I think it maybe is actually linked to being a female because I reckon even if I was the youngest but the only female I probably would still have quite a lot of the same experience there, there is definitely something <laughs> something in that and um and you know for anyone listening thinking who is this mama Fazio? you will find out soon because we definitely are going to chat to her and she's actually the reason that we know each other too pretty yeah, much isn't it's, she it's probably possible i think she probably connected yeah. you to our project so anyway watch this space everyone <laughs> um so with that then i guess i mean what what would you say is this one of the, the things in your life that you are the most proud of so i find it really 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 hard to be proud i'm not gonna lie and it's something that i struggle with and i know i need to work on because Otherwise, you're, you exist in sort of like a perpetual dissatisfaction, which is not very helpful or healthy for anyone. Um, and it's definitely probably a symptom of sort of capitalism and I, the idea that you always have to be striving for mm. more and nothing's ever good enough. There's always something better that you could have done or that you could have achieved. Um, and the whole notion of comparing yourself, etc. Um, but I think, actually, I'm very proud of starting and continuing with philanthropy. It's not easy to... Um, start something and then to navigate that space um to confidently like shed yourself of things like imposter syndrome um to keep the momentum and to keep the motivation to do things um especially when you're you're starting quite small and a lot of the pressure and um yeah concepts and ideas and everything has to come from you um and there's been many times where I've wanted to give up and I think that's probably um a similar experience for many people that have started or founded things. Um, and there's been many times where I thought, if I just did a normal nine to five, I'd probably be richer, slightly more content, slightly. Um, but, you know, I'm proud of continuing. And I do think that my life wouldn't be as rich as it is if I hadn't started this and been able to meet so many people like yourself and like all of the projects that I have met. Um, so, yeah, I think that. Um, yeah. I think I'll say that. <laughs> I I think you, uh, from what I've seen, um, I think you should be very very proud of that. And and I I do actually I feel like I really want to say that you set up philanthropy by yourself at the age of like twenty four, <laughs> and you've spoken a lot already about the things that make that industry pretty tough to be in. Um, and considering how busy that I can see that you are, it's obviously been successful because it feels to me like you're never without um, people wanting your time. Um, so you said earlier that it 
can maybe sound really glamorous to say that I, you know, run a media production company, but in practice, maybe it's not. What are the misconceptions about the, mm. the, the, your, the work that you do, if, if, if any, you know, is, is, that, is that it? Yeah, um, I'm not sure, actually. I think, yeah, there's the idea that it's very glamorous, very fun. You're always doing things when there is, like with anything, I think a lot more of the admin side, a lot more of the scheduling and organisation that can be maybe less so. But actually, one of the things might be that it's, um, I don't know if this is a misconception, but I do think there's a lack of value attached to creative sometimes and creativity. Um, not so much now that I've got philanthropy and stuff, but I know a lot of freelancers that I speak with and people that are in, within the creative arts industry really struggle to get people to value their work, often maybe because of the fact that we now have phones in our not phones in our cameras, cameras in our phones mm-hmm. and stuff like that, people, and because content creation has become very accessible, um, people think, I could do that. <laughs> Why am I paying someone to take pictures or whatever? And they, they've they removed the value um, that goes into this, the training that people have done, the, even just the um, work that people have done to be better at their craft. So I don't know if it specifically applies to me, but I think of the industry in general, that's maybe a misconception. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know how people perceive me as much, I guess. Maybe I live in a little bit of a bubble. But um, in terms of misconception about the cause, actually, um, which I guess for me was just broadly social change and discussing social change, I do think that people tend to have a certain perception of what someone that wants change looks like, maybe. So um, there's the perception of, like the environmental green person that might have a certain way of dressing or looking, or it might be, for example, with the environment, might people tend to think it's a middle-class white person that, you know, has a sustainable tote or whatever. But actually, um, I think people that want change come in all shapes and sizes, and I hope that Untelevised is showing that. Um, I'm not sure if someone saw me on the street necessarily, they would know my ideals or predict my ideals. But, um, yeah, I'm learning more and more of it people yeah people come in all shapes and sizes so Mm. I think um a misconception I had and this is only because um you are so thorough and so professional is that you're running some massive production company oh, with a, yes. with a, with Actually, a massive yes. team yeah. and and that's true is that is that is that you know is that a blessing or a curse that yes. you've given off that impression but i think people think that you're a 10 man band yeah. and and, and you, you're not okay yeah that's that's <laughs> definitely one um people definitely definitely think that i have more resource than i do <laughs> i'm quite good at um Using we in place of I. <laughs> <laughs> the royal we, like, yes. yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, that kind of maybe leads quite nicely onto sort of the, the challenges. What would you say are the challenges um, of what you do um, or the work, the field you're in, the work you do? Um, and I mean, if who is to blame for those challenges um, if 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 at all so for me i think that my challenges are maybe on two levels there are personal challenges that are unique to me and maybe my personality and then there are challenges that i think anyone in a similar position to me might face um so in terms of 
let's start with the bigger challenges. I think, again, like we just said, resource. I think resources may be the biggest challenge for anyone that's working outside of like a, maybe a mainstream big organisation. Um, and I don't want to repeat all of the things that you've said, but misconception <laughs> <laughs> reinforce your, uh, your rightness, but the misconception about... Um, yeah, what it might be like um, and how many people you have on your team and how much access you have to things and stuff is challenging to overcome. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, but on a personal level, I think overcoming things like imposter syndrome was quite a big challenge for me and linked to that maybe um, letting go of perfectionism. And the reason I think it's important to talk about is that often um, when wanting to do something big like tackle social change you can feel like it's not the right time to start you don't have the right resources um you don't know enough um especially something like a podcast i don't know enough about the issues um etc etc but actually there's no perfect time to start and i think trying to let go of the idea of being perfect and having the perfect end product like Moni will tell you i'm always like oh the sound was a bit bad this week oh i don't perfectly know how to do this oh the lighting was a tiny bit off um and hanging on to those things just stops you from doing anything and i've trying to learn that just doing something is a lot better than doing nothing at all um and often the things that stick with me and i'm like sweating about at night no one even notices you know <laughs> so um yeah trying to let go of that and feeling that you belong in spaces um especially as a young person maybe as a young woman and a young black woman again um, feeling that you belong in spaces was something that took me a little time. Um, and then I think maybe actually my absolute biggest one is overcoming noise. I just feel like it's such a noisy time at the moment. There's so much always constantly going on. Um, from the moment you wake up, I'm trying not to do this anymore, but you pick up your phone, there's a hundred notifications, there's so many things going on. The BBC's telling you that Boris has decided this with COVID and then you go on Twitter and this person's been um, injured by the police and then you do this and your mum's texting you on WhatsApp and Mona's saying this and there's just so much that I just feel that sometimes it's hard to just be and to be at peace. Um, so carving out time for myself as well and trying to find that balance, I think is um, maybe a big challenge. And then within that, and I find, I feel bad saying this now we've spoken to some veterans that have been doing it for longer than I've been alive, <laughs> but maintaining motivation, I think, is quite hard, um, especially when maybe it just seems like the majority of people are quite content to go on as is, um, to feel that you're fighting for something that also might not come in your lifetime and all of these things, like the uncertainty of it. I do find it quite hard to stay consistently motivated, but I'm learning more and more from some of our guests that consistent motivation maybe doesn't exist. There might be peaks and troughs, um, but it's about, you know, contributing and contributing what you can. So um, that kind of very long, persistent fight that you've spoken about, the kind of ongoing motivation... um, do you, in, with all of that in mind, see a time where you think your work will no longer be needed? Um, so my work as in philanthropy, hopefully not, because yeah. I would <laughs> like to stay like employed to stay for the rest work. of my life. But <laughs> um, my work in terms of like working towards social changes and um, broadening perspectives, etc. To be honest, I would have thought that now was a perfect time with COVID, like showing everyone that 
everything's a social construct. I really did around like what April May time think, oh wow, this is the moment things are going to change. <laughs> the world's going to change. Like yeah. everyone's sort of on the same page, and everyone's sort of seeing that it's a fallacy, and maybe everyone's going to be like looking into um, what we can do. Um, and then now this being what September, mid September. I've already seen that people, as soon as they had the chance, have sort of gone back to how things were. And maybe things didn't change so much anyway because things like Amazon growing and growing in profit shows that we didn't maybe let go of so much consumerism and all of these things. Um, That being said, I do feel that even though maybe some of the bad habits are continuing, there has been a shift and I don't know if we'll ever go back. Um, And I saw a post actually of someone who had a very young child, I can't remember, it was a celebrity, and it was the child's first day at school, and she said something like, um, I look at him and wonder whether the fact that he now knows that society can stop and be haunted at any moment will make him more of a conscious individual and make him feel more empowered to change or make him more fearful of change. And, make him... and I think that's a really valid point. Like, Maybe it is the generation that's just... like children now that have had this as a childhood experience that mm. will really think actually wait and challenge things a lot more I don't know but um, I, I don't know if some of these big things like ending racism, ending poverty and <laughs> will happen in my lifetime but I have hope that the constant fight will move us further and further towards the goals hopefully <laughs> so um, for those people who haven't rushed immediately to get things back to the way they were, for those who maybe have kind of, maybe even before COVID were aware or who have come through COVID and gone, wait a minute, (laughs) what is all this smoke and mirrors that we've been living with for so long? Um, What can they do? You know, we're sitting here recording um, this podcast that's just one tiny little droplet um, in the ocean of things that people might do um, to keep discussions going and and so on but um, what are the things that people can do especially if they're to avoid being sucked back into a norm and a mainstream which is so powerful which probably is intent on sucking us back Um, how can we resist yeah um, yeah I think one of the things that we say at the end of every episode is just looking at your power and your personal resource and your personal like what do you call it ecosystem maybe and seeing how you can affect change in small ways because I think one of the things is it can seem quite abstract and overwhelming but just looking at the everyday things you do um not necessarily having to radically change your life but if you're a teacher and you take the tube every day go to the school looking at the small things you could do in your everyday to make changes is definitely one thing Maybe an even easier thing is just having the conversations. So um, questioning things more, questioning what you see, questioning what you consume and having the conversations with the people around you. So if it is Black Lives Matter, having a conversation with your family about it, not just um, working on yourself, but also working on um, discussing these things with the people around you. Um, And then I think we're super lucky. So as much of a curse that I think social media has become in some ways it's also the biggest blessing in terms of access to resources um there's so many videos there's so many podcasts obviously listen to this one (laughs) but there's so many podcasts there's so many tv programs there's so much out there and although it is noisy 
if you can carve out and try and access some of these resources, most of them being free if you have an internet connection. If you don't, there's free newspapers. These days. There's just so much that I feel that just seeing every day as an opportunity to learn and grow um, is a great way that you can um, do things. But yeah, on that practical level, supporting what's out there, I couldn't agree more with what Mona said last week about um, not always thinking you have to create your own thing and supporting what's out there. And I know it sounds rich as someone that has created something, <laughs> but in my work with working with um, grassroots organisations, I see so much of that duplication and it just causes um, lack for everyone because everyone's competing for the same thing. When actually, if you join together, you would have X times the number of resources and you would be able to do something even more powerful than you can alone. Um, I think there's a lot of glamour attached to being a founder, a CEO, and having these things in your title. But actually, I would much rather have a team of people that were mobilising around one thing and feel the strength in that than be a founder on my own that has a lovely LinkedIn profile and a lovely Twitter bio but actually isn't doing anything. Um, So I couldn't agree more with looking for what's out there and supporting that. And then if the thing that you want to do is not out there, of course, create it. But um, collaboration, I just think, is such an important and powerful thing. Um, But yeah, continue to learn and see yourself as imperfect, I think, is probably the most salient advice I could give. Um, thank you so much, Fazio. I think um, I'm hoping I'm hoping that um, those people who have hope may you know stuck with us till this uh, fourth episode and all the people that are still to come um, that it will just give some real understanding into what it is that leads people to to do anything um, and um, and actually just to echo what Fazio said, like I think people sometimes have this idea that social change work or activism or whatever um is only done by certain types of people and that then then your daily activities have to literally be directly linked to kind of like protesting in the street or whatever but you run a you know Fazaya runs a media production company and so her skills actually maybe aren't on paper the skills you'd think you'd go off and you know go off and train in to become an activist or something but then you decided just to use media for social good and so I think for anybody listening, there is a sense that any skill set could actually be put to social good. You know, if you're a website developer, you can build websites for social movements. You know, if you're a, you know, if you're like a coder, you could start helping people with back end coding. You know, like it can anything you do can still be turned to social good. You don't have to go and retrain as an activist or something. That's not necessarily how it looks. Um, yeah, exactly. So. Um, anyone um listening um as you know we are a fairly new podcast um and a fairly under-resourced podcast but we're we're trying so um if you've enjoyed it if you've listened if you please can subscribe follow if you leave a review that would be brilliant and if nothing else just for our morale um you can find us um at untelevised underscore tv on instagram and twitter and you can message us through those channels if you want to share any thoughts with us um people you think we should feature topics you think we should feature um you can email email us at talked to untelevised at gmail.com with the two being the digit two um and in ode of Fazeo's um kind of 
plight of the creatives. I feel like I should maybe also highlight that um, our jingle is produced by Child of Chief. Our artwork is produced by Katja Rakin. So people who've contributed their creative craft to us for us to be able to set this thing up. Um, and yeah, we look forward to we'll speaking you to you in a episode. fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we'll be back to our normal schedule next time. <laughs> no more having to listen to us drone on. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Call me a dreamer, idealistic believer. Put my head in a cloud. I don't want to come down from my feet. Our planet on start the ground. My ground, my ground is a cloud.